millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. To quote Robert Kennedy, like it or not, we live in interesting times. So, are you paying attention? Because the Pentagon has confirmed that exotic technology, objects that defy known physics and belong to no earthly government, have interacted with our Navy pilots on multiple occasions. And those same pilots say these interactions are occurring on a daily basis. In response, Congress has passed bipartisan legislation to fund UFO research and protect whistleblowers of secret access programs that may possess actual physical debris of crashed or recovered UFOs. Just to be clear, the U.S. government has confirmed the existence of UFOs, now called UAPs, which stands for Unexplained Anomalous Phenomenon. But are they extraterrestrial, intradimensional, or time travelers? If that isn't enough to make you feel like the future has just reached out from a dark alley, whacked you on the head, and stolen your wallet... AI has officially arrived on our shores in the form of ChatGPT and is already making vast swaths of our economy irrelevant. I mean, you can't make this shit up. Or can you? Because according to Scientific American, there's at least a 50-50 chance that we are living in a simulation. Join us, the non-experts, as we find the real experts to solve this puzzle piece by piece together. Or at least get closer to knowing how very little we know. I'm Tom Wheeler. And I'm Dave Foley. Welcome to Really. Dave Foley, I have one question for you. Really? Then this is going to be a very short podcast. (laughs) This is all it's going to be. All right. What the fuck is going on? Uh, I do not know. Um, uh, But I... But thank you for trying. But I am at least aware that something is going on. Okay. Uh, but what it is, I don't. I, I don't think I'm alone in this. I think everyone is in this position where uh, they do not know, uh, which is the frustrating part about uh, definitely the UFO story. Is that is that uh, there are people who know more of the data and more of the stories and more of the uh, accounts than other people, but. There's nobody who's crossed that finish line of knowing what the hell is going on. 
it's weird. Yeah. It's fucking weird. And the fact is, like, it's getting stranger by the minute. And, like, I'm a writer by trade. But yeah, I've seen so you I'm, do that. I'm always, I know, we've, we've, I've worked, I work to find the story. Mm-hmm. And it just becomes a bigger and bigger, crazier octopus and more tentacles and more tentacles and more. So I think my hope for this podcast would be to bring in people uh, provide a bridge to those who aren't like in the inside baseball of the yes. UFO Twitterverse or whatever. People who aren't hosting their own UFO shows. Yet. Yes, exactly. Yes. We want to be the podcast, not necessarily for we welcome those people, but yes. we but for the people who are like, we're, I would like to know what's going we're on. We're an on ramp to this world that is uh, fascinating, but uh, certainly not one that gives you any finite answers. But it feels like soon ish it will be affecting our lives because of the amount of information leaking out of the government the number of credible people now really studying and investigating this Mm -hmm. the legitimacy of the investigators now not to take anything away from sort of legacy investigators of this topic people that have been really kind of towing the line for decades right but there seems to be this real uh connected group that has connections to the government the government people within the government seem to want to speak about this so tell me before we get into all the kind of crazy stories and wild legislation that's getting passed and all of the where did you make this pivot where did you because well yeah. my, my knowledge of you was always i thought you were fairly dubious of these kinds of things but then recently I well, was, I, I, I think <laughs> I, 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 I present myself, and I think I am someone who is very uh, rational, yeah, and likes to focus on facts. You know, life lifelong atheist as a result, uh, but who, you know, needs to sort of see a logical path to what the truth is about something, and you know, evidence based, and um, with the UFO story. Um, it's something I was always interested in and curious about and paid some attention to uh, because it just seemed like there were, to me, again, just from a logical standpoint, there were too many stories yeah. for it to be sensible to ignore it. I think even if we're just talking about anecdotal evidence, if there's so much of it and it persists throughout human history, so you know, stories of things like UFO sightings uh, go back as, as far as recorded human history goes back. Romans. Yes. The Romans have record records of soldiers, you know, written records in the Vatican mm-hmm. throughout history. Yes, yes, absolutely. Biblical stories that sound just mm-hmm. like UFO sightings. And uh, and definitely like Renaissance paintings that have UFOs in them. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, so I was, you know, curious about it. The same thing with other paranormal things, things like ghosts and yeah. hauntings. I think you, you can't because, you know, hauntings are uh, woven through the fabric of almost every culture. Yeah, and in the art of every culture, I mean, it's in Shakespeare. Shakespeare has how many ghosts does he have in his narratives? Five uh, a play, I yep. believe, was the rule. <laughs> yeah, so it's there's something to these things, and even if they aren't easily studied scientifically, they should still be considered as serious subjects that we don't understand yet, and um, and should be looking at because they're. But with the UFO story. Um, 
I was, as I said, so I always just thought there has to be something to it because it's too widespread and over too long a, a time span. Um, but what it was, I didn't know, and I was skeptical, and it always seemed, I always get sort of disappointed in the stuff you'd see and the evidence coming forth. And of course, at least 95%, maybe up to 99% of all UFO sightings are errors. They are misidentifications. And I think we're susceptible to, first of all, and we can get to this more active government efforts to muddy the waters, to yes. throw up dust in the face of anything that might appear just credible, real, multiple witnesses. I also think just naturally our consciousness wants to disregard it. It pushes it away, I think, uh, or at least takes it in and then says, I don't know what to do with this. Yeah, and I don't think that's... And we'll get on to this another as we go along, but I don't think it's just a natural inclination. It is a manufactured response to the story. Uh, and there's actually a paper trail of how that response was manufactured by a deliberate government program, a military to, strategy. To train our brains to, social, to yeah, disregard. To create a social conditioning that would uh, have people who uh, consider themselves to be rational, sensible people to not engage with the subject at all. Do you think prior to that, because that's interesting, prior to Project Blue Book, prior to CIA, prior to, do you think we as people would be more open to this phenomenon? Well, I think there was, it's really, we have to go to prior, the, there's something called the, uh, the Robertson Committee, I think it was the committee they call it, um, which was a group of, uh, uh, scientists that were brought in and, and uh, to look at UFO data uh, after, and again, we're, I'm jumping down in, into an era I didn't think we'd get to you, but but after the 1952 UFO swarming of the Capitol building in the White House, which happened, and we'll talk about that <laughs> We'll later. get to that. There was um, a UFO swarm around the White yeah. House. It was front page news. Yeah. And, yeah, uh, it was in look, it was studying in all the newspapers, look magazine. I mean, Jets chased these things. Did serious stories about yeah. UFOs. Time magazine did serious stories about UFOs. Like there was a lot of serious coverage of UFOs prior to the Robertson Committee, uh, which basically laid out a, a path for debunking, ridiculing, and um, of anyone who anyone who uh, claims to have seen a UFO. So it's first off, the debunking just explain everything, no matter how, no matter how flimsy the throw out any excuse, throw out just explain anything, everything. Yes. Character assassination of witnesses, right? Uh, ridicule, uh, and they also in their in the memos they the, where they put forward their their program suggestion to the military of how to get people to stop thinking and talking about UFOs. Uh, they said that we need to engage uh, the media, television, film, radio, uh, as uh, allies in creating an environment, basically creating an environment where it just wasn't acceptable to even think about the subject. And um, which I'll I'll always will refer back to a book Noam Chomsky wrote a long time ago called Manufacturing Consent, where uh, where he kind of outlined that you can that that our uh, media can become a propaganda tool without a mass conspiracy. All you have to do is create an intellectual environment within which certain things are not what sensible people will think about. Right. And once you create that environment. The sensible people will censor themselves. Well, I'll be honest. We, uh, I was at AlienCon mm -hmm. a couple of weeks ago, and 
it is really fascinating this culture that has that has grown around this phenomenon, which of mm -hmm. course is really sticky, interesting subject matter, and you don't necessarily have to be an expert to be interested in it or yeah. sound like an authority, <laughs> present company included. But you do have very credible people on the same stages as people that are talking about uh, incredible things in semi-ridiculous ways that I think is still a part of the problem. I, I, yes. I think there needs to be, and I believe there was a government effort to change the term UFO to UAP to really try to distance uh, the new conversation from the previous history because of all the baggage, because you bring this up to some newbies, mm -hmm. they are going to put it in that in that bag. They're going to put it in the, okay, you know, I'll, I will engage. Yeah, super interesting, but, you know, whereas the developments of the last few years, arguably 2017 was a big year, and we'll, we could talk about that. The, the conversation really has shifted from whether or not they're here to what are we going to do about it, whereas 95% of the public arguably are still completely in the dark of how serious the conversation has become. Yes, that's the, to me, one of the most remarkable uh, things that's come out since the 2017 New York Times story is the realization of how effective and persistent social conditioning can be when it's done well. And again, this program, this was a deliberate program of social conditioning going back yeah. to like 1952. Um, and that even now, um, it's still it still is very very effective at shutting people down from discussing it and thinking about it. And again, and especially especially people like ourselves on the left of the political spectrum are less likely to be aware of what's going on. Interesting, uh, which is because because we see ourselves we're the scientific rational ones. Sure. So we're the most conditioned. Mm -hmm. to not look at things that we've been told are not scientific and rational. Mm -hmm. And and there were brave scientists going back to the 50s and 60s who were looking at this and basically lives were destroyed. Lives have been ruined. This. And 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 I have heard in the conversation that part of some agencies reluctance to engage the topic or share with the public would be the litigation and the blame that they may would be have associated liabilities. with that would be associated with destroying lives over the course of decades, and it's probably worth noting that that 2017 New York Times article was written by Leslie Keen, who you you know and and we hope to have on the podcast, who's a investigative journalist and mm -hmm. broke the story that really set the new course almost which identified that the government had been funding UFO research for years, and it also legitimized footage that had come out of the Navy that Top Gun pilots had seen, uh, witnessed these mm -hmm. UAPs, and that the Pentagon confirmed were legitimate objects in space, and that they mm -hmm. were not ours, they didn't belong to the Chinese or the Russians. Yes, This was exotic technology, they're uh, in, the, in the basket called other. Yes. Which is the military's way of downplaying, we don't know what the fuck this yeah, is. Yes, exactly. They just call it other. Right. Um, and, you know, because you go through the history, but I said there was, there was a period of time when this was openly discussed. Then it was shut down by deliberate design. 
and but in the background it's the uh, you know the paper trail of, res of of programs that the government has had all the way through exists and now yeah you're right we we suddenly have um you know lou elizondo going public from and saying you know making a tip public who was a uh he was a threat assessment analyst yeah he was a counterterrorism specialist he you know you know in the middle east and um and he's he's i think he's had deployments in guantanamo and he's a you know a really serious you know deadly yes. serious guy yes um but at some point he was put on the uh on the uh, the program to uh, research uh, U UFOs or UAPs, and uh, and that kind of so he went through the transition. Mm -hmm. I guess I guess part of what we when we call the show really with a question mark uh, exclamation mark period is there is that transition of of being curious about the subject, so being aware of it and being curious, looking into it, being maybe startled or mm -hmm. alarmed or or excited, and then you move from that on to just accepting that there is a UFO reality. Um, what that reality is, is still up for grabs, but there definitely is, indisputably, there is a UFO reality. That is the Rubicon I think we need to encourage people to cross, even though yes. it's uncomfortable. Yes. I find it uncomfortable. Well, I think, like, I have, like, I crossed the Rubicon. I started, see, as I said, I was always interested in the subject, and I remember, and I started get, getting more serious about it from, um, you know, uh, when the Phoenix Lights happened in 1997. Um, Catch us up on what that and was. And the Phoenix Lights was, it was a, an incident where there was a, basically what was described as a giant um, uh, boomerang-shaped craft, uh, possibly a mile wide, um, that uh, had about, had five lights on it, I think most people reported that traveled over like a, over a 200 mile space was tracked over 200 miles traveling through uh, Arizona including over the the city of Phoenix so it became known as the Phoenix Lights and it was witnessed by thousands of people potentially yes. uh, and here's an interesting story one of the witnesses of the Phoenix Lights turns out later was uh, Kurt Russell the uh, the movie star there who you go I, who I have worked with okay but he is an amateur pilot who was flying into Phoenix that night and reported the lights and uh, and, he's, and I heard him interviewed, and he said he then just forgot about it. And he and his, he, he had a son; was, he was flying with his son forgot into Phoenix. It. And he said, and he, he said it was kind of weird. He just kind of put it out of his mind, didn't think of it till years later. He saw someone talking about it on television, like you do. And they said it was reported by an amateur pilot. And he went, "That was me." Uh, so so the Phoenix lights happened. He's like amateur, and um, and was witnessed by a great number of people. And. And there's probably people listening right now who go, yeah, but that was that was explained. Uh, it was uh, flares, and there were definitely flares dropped that night by by the military, probably so that they could say they dropped flares that night, right? Uh, as a way of because that's how it works. That's how you create the distraction. Um, but what those thousands of people saw wasn't flares, because flares don't travel slowly across the sky over hundreds of miles uh, horizontally. Because um, flares, uh, if you've seen them, they tend to travel in one direction, which is down. Yes. Um, and burn out rather quickly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, if you fire them up, they will have an arc, but they don't just they don't travel through the sky 
very slowly and, and silently people, in formation. People want the. It's so easy to debunk. It's so yeah. hard to prove, but so easy to debunk. You just have to throw out one. It doesn't matter if there were a thousand witnesses who saw it from yeah. a million different angles, including the fucking governor. Yes, I was going to say if you want to believe that flares were the explanation for the Phoenix Lights, then you really the person you have to convince is the governor of Arizona at the time, uh, Fife Symington. I think we have a clip which we can run of Fife. My office did make inquiries as to the origin of the craft, but to this day they remain unanswered. I still don't know what it was. As a pilot and a former Air Force officer, uh, I can definitively say that this craft did not resemble any man-made object that I'd ever seen. Well, I now know that I'm not alone in witnessing something extraordinary. That's the bottom line. So there, the governor, who uh, who at the time debunked his own sighting. Yeah, he saw uh, it. He saw it. Then debunked it. Yes, he saw it. Then did a press conference where he brought out a staffer dressed as an alien in a rubber rubber alien costume, and uh, you know, in handcuffs, and said, "We found the culprit behind the lights." So yes, he debunked it. He, he, we went on like in that actually, where that clip is from is from a documentary called "I Know What I Saw" by James Fox which is a great documentary and part of what we'll do here a lot of is tell you better places for your to get your information than us. Yeah, I, I thought and I think Leslie Keene who also wrote UFOs, um, Generals, Pilots and Government Officials Go on the Record, which is a great book and mm-hmm. and is very thoroughly researched and all, all about the data, not about yes. conjecture, not about whether or not what are these things, just who's seen them, the credible people that have seen them, military people, people that have been entrusted with our most dangerous and valuable technology, mm-hmm. people that have been mentally screened, psychologically screened. These are people that are reporting these eyewitness, you know. And uh, that clip it, comes from a panel, uh, a press conference that was done in, in the D.C. Uh, press club uh, a number of years ago that Leslie uh, yeah, which she had was put, part right. of organizing along with James Fox. And uh, where most of the people that are in her book uh, spoke at that hearing and in fact, it was after that that panel that that uh, they put together that uh, Leslie decided that she needed to write this book mm. because she thought, well, we've got all these people here and they're all telling their stories. Clearly, people will start to pay attention now that we've shown all of these right. professionals with incredible credentials telling you UFOs are real. the The mainstream media will will pick up on this story. Scientists will get an interest in this, and nothing happened. And they got no no response from the government, which they were also hoping that they would be they would trigger congressional hearings uh, by doing this panel. So none of that happened, which is why Leslie wrote the book. She thought, well, obviously, our, our, I just need we need these people to be able to explain tell their stories at greater length, sure, so that people will take it seriously. And that the book was a bestseller, um, and it's a great book. People are incredibly in- interested in the topic. They're incredibly <laughs> they will engage. The problem seems to be that, first of all, it takes so little effort for the government to try to sweep these things away. Yes. And there's no like fully organized, you, you know, you're, let me put it this way. The government isn't a monolithic acting creature. It is mm-hmm. a billion different agencies and yeah. billion different self-interests and, a, and with different budgets and different motivations. And, and it seems like various areas of the government are cracking a bit and want to get information out. There is this perception growing with stuff like these um, 
whistleblower legislation that was just passed in 2022, uh, the defense budget, I believe. Yeah, which is an interest just in itself that it is the only uh, unanimously bipartisan legislation, I think, written since before the, the Obama era. Crazy. Uh, and it is about, I mean, it's part of a, uh, of, of a larger bill, but it's uh, specifically demanding uh, reporting from the Pentagon, which they, they've set up uh, an actual reporting agency called Arrow, um, which I forget the actual, what, what, what that actually stands for. But they, have, they are now legally mandated to report to Congress about UFOs, but it also puts in funding for it. But it also, you said, you're right, put in whistleblower protection for people who either worked for um, the military and studying uh, UAP or UFOs or people who worked in the private sector because a lot of stuff, you know, the story is a lot of the uh, UFO research has been contracted out to private industry, which are not uh, accessible by uh, Freedom of Information Act requests. Yeah, and that feels like it would be the likeliest hiding place for some of these legacy programs that they talk about, yeah. these secret access programs that may or may not have debris of crashed UFOs. So actually it was Harry Reid who actually went on the record before he died as saying that he felt that uh, a lot of the information about, and and again, we're, we're leaping into the the harder to swallow bizarre areas, but programs dealing with recovered material and craft uh, was being was in uh, the private sector um, with you know military contractors again because it moves it out of you know being accessible to the public. Well, we're going to talk about. I mean, I think the important mm -hmm. thing about debris there is an entire mythology built around recovered craft. Does yes. it exist? What what programs are would be authorized to possess it? Why is the Air Force so oblique about this issue? Mm -hmm. What private, whether it's Boeing or Lockheed Martin or one of these, there is a very good argument that they are disincentivized to come forward with anything. If they were in possession of technology that was 10,000 years ahead of ours, who knows? Why? <laughs> Why share that with other industry, the world, the public? There's no, there's no gain for them when they can benefit economically. Is an argument of why perhaps we haven't heard about it, and and why they may be keeping it secret. Well, benefit uh, financially, yes, is one thing, but it's also just from uh, a national security uh, standpoint. You'd be fearful of letting information if if you have if. If the U.S. has craft in its possession that they're studying, um, they would want to keep that a secret because they have largely because they haven't been able to figure it out. Right. And if what if whatever they know gets to an adversary who may be able to figure it out, then that would put us at a great disadvantage. So you you definitely don't want your adversaries to know what you know there's about also, this. Yeah, and there's a government another argument that I have read about of why the government may not share is just the sense of powerlessness it would create that they have no answers for what it is, that perhaps there is no clear definition. That's one case to make. It makes the U.S. Well, look powerless, whereas there are France, for example, has very official 
studies and, and programs and initiatives underway to study this because to them it's a given reality that the UFOs, yes. UAPs are here, are visiting. Well, the French, actually, the French Cometa report was yeah, another was step about to say, yeah. in what made me start taking it more seriously. It was after the Phoenix Lights happened that got my attention. Tell us what the that report was. Well, it was short, shortly after that. I think it was early 2000s. Uh, the French government, uh, it was a coalition of uh, law enforcement, uh, the scientific, scientific community, uh, military, uh, psychologists, uh, all worked together studying uh, the UFO phenomena in, in France, uh, interviewing eyewitnesses, looking at evidence. And after uh, a really extensive study, they put out a report called the Cometa Report. And in the Cometa Report, their, their final uh, summary was UFOs are real and that the extraterrestrial hypothesis is the most likely explanation based on all of the data. So this was the French government saying this. Yeah. Now, obviously, the French government uh, isn't as powerful as the American government, so maybe less concerned about losing its sense, you know, losing its uh, image of being powerful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So maybe the American, because America is so huge, that maybe it's, you know. There's, a, there's the other uh, anecdote, or let's call it, the kind of metaphor that Lou Elizondo has used, which I mm -hmm. found disturbing and compelling because he is a person involved with threat assessment. And yeah. his whole deal was these things. And we, are... should, we should maybe back up just a second because, because again, because we're trying to drag drag people into this yeah. so they become the, the irritating guy at the party right. talking about this, that Lou Elizondo, because I don't think we mentioned him yet, was um, the man who went public went to the New York Times uh, along with Chris Mellon, who was a former assistant secretary of defense mm -hmm. um, in the Obama era. And they went to the New York Times to Leslie Kane. So with footage with footage of... Yes, they had they had footage. At that time, they had the uh, the Tic Tac footage, the famous Tic Tac footage that we'll, we'll talk about later. Mm -hmm. And the, um, I believe it was the gimbal uh, footage was the other one that they had at the time. There were two. Later, the uh, GoFast was released. I think that's the order. Um, but Lou Elizondo was the man running ATIP, which was uh, a, a program within the Pentagon that was specifically uh, looking at um, military interactions with, with UFOs. And, and that was their purview, was just really looking at military interactions only. And what are we seeing, and how do we get a system to identify them? What are the characteristics that they share? Mm -hmm. And what he had shared as his, as his quandary of how to define a threat mm -hmm. was because you have these exotic objects in the most secure airspace that exists, right? With our top yes. jets, with yes. uh, carriers, battleships, aircraft carriers. Who are performing dangerous maneuvers and training They are programs. The jets are training, and this. meanwhile, this exotic technology showing no visible means of propulsion is zipping around them in impossible ways, in physics-defying ways, mm -hmm. baffling pilots, scaring pilots, flying past at high rates of speed, going from 80,000 feet uh, in, in seconds from the sky to the water, mm -hmm. interacting with the water, coming in and out of the water. So he's looking at that, and even though it's making no aggressive actions, according to the 
pilots. It is showing curiosity. It's showing intelligence. It's showing interaction. Yes, and showing intelligent control and ca capacity to do basically whatever it whatever wants. Whatever the fuck it wants around our yeah. best technology that is war-making technology. So yes. he said, okay, you're in your house and you're putting your kids to bed and uh, you're in a nice, you know, nice neighborhood. You got your house. You might lock your door mm -hmm. if you're, uh, you know, maybe if you're really protective, secure-minded, you might shut your windows, lock your windows. You may even set the alarm. You go to sleep and you wake up the next morning and you come downstairs and there are muddy footprints all over your carpet. Is that a threat? You woke up and you're okay, but clearly something was in your house, bypassed all your security measures, could get through everything. And that chilled me <laughs> <laughs> because it it does suggest a, what are we dealing with? Because I think we're yes. now, at, we can continue to sort of look at individual little, like the scenes, the tic-tac, what does that look like, blah, blah, blah. They are here. They are, they are here. They're, the government has said they are here. They have confirmed this exotic technology is here. What are we going to, what do they want? What are we going to do about it? Yes, it's no what longer, it's not, it's not in the realm of conjecture. It's not conjecture anymore. It's no. And again, that, 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 that analogy with the, the footsteps in your house, you go, yeah, is it a threat? Maybe it's not a th you don't feel nothing bad happened, but the potential for something bad to happen is there. And if those footsteps show up in your kitchen uh, over a 70-year period, yeah. yeah, which is what we're looking at. Those footsteps have been showing up in in the kitchen for for over seventy years now, going back to the Roswell incident. At our most secure yes. military installations, yes, nuclear engineers, military yeah. nuclear people have had yeah. wild experiences, interactions with UAP that apparently, according to these very credible reports, turn our machines on and off, turn mm. our missiles on and off. And, and fly circles around our best military equipment. And and again, people people will forget that a lot of people, well, a lot of people have forgotten. They, they think of Roswell as just this crazy town in New Mexico. Sure, it's just the basis for CW yeah. shows or yeah. something. Like that. And what they forget is that the, the base, the Air Force base, wasn't even, there was no Air Force then, but the military base outside Roswell was the most advanced weapons repository mm -hmm. in the world at the time. It was the flying wing that had the nuclear bombs. Uh, it's where the uh, Enola Gay flew from to drop the, uh, the, uh, you know, the, the atomic bomb on Japan. And it was the only place in the world that had atomic bombs. And so the security there was pretty intense. And and again, there's there's this long, long history of UFOs interacting with our our uh, our nuclear uh, arsenals. And at that time, that was the only one in the world. Mm -hmm. And so you had uh, the security officer in charge of that base uh, came out and was was given permission to go public, saying that they had uh, retrieved a flying disc that had crashed. And then the next day he was dragged in and forced to pose with a weather balloon right. and claimed that he, the security officer of one of the most important military bases, well, maybe the most important military base the in time. the world at the time, the officer in charge of security for that base couldn't tell the difference between a crashed flying disc 
and a common weather balloon that they encountered all the time. And where those disks may have ended up would lead potentially to the Bob Lazar story, which we can get into mm-hmm. down the line. There are a lot of fascinating debris recovery stories and witnesses. I'm curious, we will revisit some of these stories. I'm curious, what do you think they are? Um, the UFOs, you yes. mean? What do I think they are? I honestly do not know. You have I, to have a... I don't even have a theory. I don't... I have a preference. You think... I, I have sure, a preference. Okay, okay, what's your preference? But it's not a theory. Because my preference is that they are extraterrestrial. Mm-hmm. Uh, for some reason, to me, it would be very disappointing if... Because, the, you know, the theories are extraterrestrial, um, uh, extra-dimensional mm-hmm. uh, is okay, too. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. But the one <laughs> I'm, not, that, I'm not so happy about extra-dimensional, yeah. but go ahead. But the one I really don't like is extra-temporal, yeah. which is time travelers, that it's us from the future traveling back in time. Because then... That's kooky pants. And it's, and it's also just... Which is an actual it's term. Just, we already know we're here. Mm-hmm. I want to know there's somebody somewhere else. So, so if it's us from the future, that's a little disappointing because it isn't pointing to... And we look weird. Yes. If that's the... Like something yeah. has gone awry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is clear. I mean, look at me. I'm already. I'm already. You 30, look great. I'm thirty percent of the way to being a gray. Yeah, losing hair. I mean, it's, my, arm, it's my all, arms are spindly. This is. Yeah, maybe we're maybe we're headed there faster. I have than we no thought. melanin in my skin. Look, um, you look fantastic. Thank you. I just want to. I want to say that. But, um, but so yeah. So the ex, the extra temporal hypothesis is, like, I guess, the one that would be the most disappointing to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd also be a little disappointed, but there's also the ultra-terrestrial. Uh, uh, the fuck is ultra-terrestrial? That's the notion that, that the whatever is behind this phenomena has always been here, and they are an earthbound uh, life form just like Wouldn't that theoretically be like extra-dimensional? Us. No, this would, this would be the ultra-terrestrial ultra would be it is just a superior life form that has coexisted with us throughout time that, we are una- that we've just been unaware of. They just haven't interacted with kind us. Kind of, well... Would like, that be a fishbowl effect thing where they are able to occupy dimensional space we can or that literally think, they're hiding I in think caves this is somewhere? Literally, they're just hiding, yeah. Oh, this that's, is, okay, this so is that's also, sort of like almost a journey to the center of the earth kind of yeah, idea. Yes. That's interesting. Yeah, or you know, either, or that they're able to just cloak their civilization and keep it secret from us. It's Interdimensional it's hard to, is super creepy. 
and Extra interdimensional. Ter- yeah. Extraterrestrial is, of course, like what we've kind of been led to believe come from outer space. Yeah. They're checking us out. They might just be like, those people are crazy. We don't want to get too close. Don't yeah. alarm them. They behave in strange, unpredictable ways. Yeah. Whereas interdimensional seems more insidious, invasive, observational in a in a I don't know too intimate a way yeah. for my taste. Or um, inter- interdimensional might just be that their concern with us is that that uh, we are sharing a a pan dimensional space with them, and mm-hmm. they're aware of it, and they can travel back and forth. But we're not aware of it because we can't. Yeah. But perhaps we can do damage to that space. We can do damage to their plane of existence through our own recklessness. And the insanity of it all is that these are questions that need to be asked at well, this yeah. point. Because, again, there's there's the UFO Twitterverse, which is really seems to be very like wrapped up in like who's mad at who and who blah, blah, blah. And, and also conspiracy, like can't trust anything from the government. So let's just continue to sort of like argue amongst ourselves, whatever. And it's like, I don't I would hope this conversation isn't doesn't become that because I do think people need to be brought into the big picture. <laughs> the big picture being how do we feel about sharing our world and space? What does that mean for religion? What is what 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 constitutes benevolent interaction and what is more concerning because people have been damaged by contact with UFOs apparently. Um well, I would say, I mean, I, I've, I've thoroughly crossed the Rubicon into um, believing that we are coexisting with an intelligence that is uh, far, far, far in advance of our own. Mm-hmm. That is just going on within our, within, our, within our airspace, on our planet, under our oceans. Uh, these things are happening, and I'm fully on board for that. I think I... I believe I am too. I mean, I think there, it makes me think about uh, paranormal interactions I've had in my life. So, a little story time. Okay. Wait, let me get the children. We'll call <laughs> this, we'll call this Tom's weird childhood story time. And I'll try to keep it to the supernatural. All right. Um, but my awakening to alien interdimensional activity, not just my curiosity from reading books. I had some very weird experiences as a child that took place in this beautiful bucolic farmland neighborhood called Chester Springs, Pennsylvania. We moved there when I was about six, my mother, my older brother, and at the time, we were going to be moving into a place we called the schoolhouse, which was a revolutionary-era schoolhouse that had had one or two rooms uh, connected to it. I probably haven't walked you through these stories in a while, but if I, I remember, gonna... I remember hearing, you, hearing some of these stories when we were first friends. Yes, many, yes, many, many, many years ago. So we, um, before we moved in, the landlady, who apparently was crazy, she had a son. I don't know how crazy he was, but he told my mother that you are aware that the house you're moving into is haunted, correct? This was not what you would tell my mother at the time. She's raising two young boys, just recently divorced. It was just not, she's like, oh really, oh great, that was 
She didn't. You're, you're compelled by law to report a murder to a, a tenant, <laughs> yeah, but not no, right, exactly. but not a haunting. I know, but he uh, opted to share, and he said that a revolutionary era soldier walked around the house, and you heard his footsteps, and you would see his shadow. She did not. This is important. Share this information with her children. Thank God. However, we move into the schoolhouse, and we kind of love it. It was like. Tom Sawyer. I mean, it was it was farms and woods and cornfields and you know dogs and chickens and uh, all around. But there was weird energy around this area, mm-hmm. and it was a few miles from a. Because you're also describing every Stephen King setting. Yeah, well, so, I, clearly, yeah. and yeah. and it, there was a documented, investigated haunted house some three miles away from our house. Um, so. This house was set up with a primary space, big uh, schoolhouse space, of course, belfry. And my brother and I slept in what was a converted hayloft. There was a little spiral staircase, huge kitchen, big walls, connected to a living room that was new, but was by far the fucking scariest room in the house. Partly because my mother had was thrilled that the philosopher Bertrand Russell, who I'm not sure she had read much Bertrand Russell in her time, no offense to her, no, mm-hmm. neither have I since. One of my favorite atheists. Okay, great. Well, his his picture of his old withered face was open in some book on our fireplace mantle. So anytime you went into the living room, you were forced to have Bertrand Russell's eyes following you around. At mm-hmm. six years old, that was deeply frightening to me. It would be frightening to me now, to be honest. Um, so I, anytime I... I just didn't like the living room. Didn't want to be in there. Anyway, the the first event that took place, it happened to my brother. We had mattress beds because the hayloft was at a kind of steep angle, so it didn't actually fit bed beds. He wakes up in the middle of the night, according to him, uh, and sees a figure at my closet. This figure was making movements that were its back was to him and the movements were of this nature sort of mm-hmm. back and forth and he assumed in his kind of waking up state that mom was upstairs doing laundry pulling tom's pants inside out or something at the closet and he said mom and this figure immediately was then facing him with its arms outstretched and came toward him getting taller and taller as it came toward him he screamed a natural reaction i woke up at that point, and I saw Big Brother flying down the spiral staircase, screaming that he'd seen a ghost. I did not even look around. I just followed him right down the spiral staircases into our mother's bed, where he proceeded to tell her that there was, you know, a, a specter up, upstairs. Suffice to say, the two boys said, no fucking way are we sleeping in the hayloft tomorrow night, you know. So the next night, we were sleeping in the kitchen because mm-hmm. the living room was too scary to sleep in. So I'm on the wooden floor of the kitchen. My brother, Bill, is on the couch because he'd had the shit scared out of him the previous night. So he's on the, he got the couch. That was mm-hmm. his brotherly argument. I'm in my sleeping bag. My head is beside the three stairs heading down into the living room. My mother is in her room to the, at our nine o'clock. Let's say. <laughs> um, the house settles. We're going to bed. I hear my brother go to sleep. House settles some more. Then the house starts to settle in a more consistent way, closer to footsteps in the living room. 
So now I'm listening, paying very close attention, and I hear a step on the first stair. And I hear a second step as though someone is coming up from the stairs of the living room. And I look up to this huge white wall because it is a schoolhouse. And I see the profile, sort of side profile of someone's face sort of moving across this huge wall as the the floorboard, there's wind at my head and the floorboard is though like a 200 pound person steps on the floorboard by my head, right next to my head. I look up, there's no one there. I of course proceed to freak out. I go crying to mom, there's a ghost. Uh, and she's like, it's okay, it's okay. She didn't tell us at this point about the revolutionary soldier that walks around the house and you hear him and you see his shadow. Um, that was enough for us to be convinced the house was haunted. Yeah. But the craziest story of that house was that every once in a while, for no particular reason, the the carpet in the living room would start to ripple. And it would sometimes, the ripple would be about six inches to sometimes it would go even like two feet and it would sp split around furniture and go all the way across the, the, the rug itself, sort of slowly would ripple. Obviously a strange phenomenon. It doesn't happen in every home. This is something we lived with because life was weird and we were encountering these things um, and we didn't know what to make of it. One night, my uh, mother, I think my aunt, who was from Milan, who was into, she knew, read the tarot cards. She could be very spiritual. They were having a good time. With, I think my uncle was there, whatever. My mom's telling the ghost stories. What happened to me? What happened to Bill? And she starts to talk about them, and my aunt says, no, no, do not talk about them, they come. Sure enough, the rug starts to kind of ripple, and they're probably pretty drunk. They're like, this is fucking crazy, what's going on? Let's find out what's going on. Pulling up the rug, moving furniture around. The conclusion is that there's a vent and that must be just pushing, that just must be pushing the air through. I mean, it's a fairly mm -hmm. sensible, okay. Cut to five years later. We have since moved out of the schoolhouse. My mother is a local TV personality in Philadelphia. She runs into a woman that she knew somehow adjacent to work that lived in the schoolhouse after us. They talk about the area. They love the area. It was beautiful, whatever. They talk about the, they start to talk about the, my mom talks about the ghost stories and she talks about the rug in the living room and the lady gets rather pale. She says that she lived in the schoolhouse for a year, and the night before she moved out, she slept. <laughs> I laugh. She slept in the schoolhouse alone with no furniture in it, in the living room. Terribly scary idea. I don't. Anyway, she she reported to my mother that in the middle of the night, she woke up because something was bumping her, and she lifted her pillow, and the floorboards were rippling. Uh, she at the time said she was trying, trying to understand how this could pop. What did a large animal get stuck in the in the floor? That that the floorboards themselves were in a sort of circular motion moving across the room. The uh, as a storyteller, I love the ending to that because it's yes. such a great button. Um, but we, uh, we kind of took that, but there was also other phenomenon that took place in this area. I vividly remember standing on our yard at night and my mother saying, what is that? And we we're looking at lights 
in the sky, an array of lights. I am, I, it's, I'm, it was too young, I was too young to really recall anything beyond the fact that we were looking at strange lights and my mother was like, couldn't figure out what they were. But I vividly remember the next day when a neighbor took us a quarter of a mile to a farm, a field uh, near across from his farm on the same street that we were on and that we were looking at a circle of burned uh, crops that was uh, uh, disc-shaped um, and just went all in a circle. And I recall just asking, because <laughs> we were all very baffled, and even crop circles were a thing then, you know, as a that um, we were just marveling at this. What could somebody, yes, somebody could have burned a circle, but it was a, um, a large, I'm gonna say maybe 50 feet across circle in this in uh, that that came after this sighting. Um, that was my initiation into kind of the unknown and mm -hmm. left me very open to possibilities like this because of the strange backup that we had to some of our stories. The fact my mom never told us the story of the ghost that I saw, because I, as a six-year-old, I was I was six years old. My yes. brother had just had the shit scared out of him. Of course, I'm like fucking alert to everything, but the fact that I experienced the very thing that she said to be to watch out for it, but didn't tell me until I was 15, just was blew my mind. And then the fact that this person that that stayed in the house after us, it's the backup that I found. Yeah, you weren't so responding compelling. to any advanced suggestion. No, when you saw it, and 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 you had no connection to this this other witness to the same the exact same event, a, a, an event that made it even fucking scarier. Yeah, you know, it, it was a it was an amazing house, it was an amazing area, but I do think areas kind of contain energy. Um, I, I, I said I think it's like our little Skinwalker Ranch, which we'll, yes. I, I will want to talk about ad nauseum because I'm sort of obsessed with this place and I would love to have us talk to people from Skinwalker Ranch, which is in very brief, a uh, heavily researched and studied ranch in Utah, Basin, Yes, that is known for and has been known for for a century or more, very outrageous phenomenon that does include yes. ghosts. And one of the reasons I tell ghost stories because there's there's an over there's a definite as you go down the road with this with the subject, there's definitely an overlap with several elements of paranormal uh, phenomena. Ghosts definitely being one of them, like poltergeist, which are arguably maybe different from ghosts. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, and all of these and um, and and crypto cryptids, cryptozoology events. There, the, and um, this was a this was a financed, the government financed research of this of this area. Well, for this years. takes us back to Harry Reid, because uh, yes. the. Senator from Nevada, who yes, was the majority former, leader. Yes, he was. Yeah, speak, uh, was he was he speaker. No, he was no. He's no, majority, he was majority leader. Senate majority leader. leader. Yeah. yeah. Um, so he got the funding for uh, the program that he actually got funded was OSAP, um, which was the one that was contracted out. Was they took bids on, and Robert Bigelow's company won the bid on it, and um, and OSAP kind of was a broader range of 
subject matter than ATIP, which was in Pentagon and was strictly military, mm-hmm. basically, basically looking at interactions with military and uh, the phenomena. Uh, but OSAP was dealing with a lot of the phenomena. They were they were kind of centered at Skinwalker was one of the places they were studying, and this was the second big study. There was before that was something called the National Institute of Discovery Sciences that was uh, uh, that. Uh, had years ago been funded by Robert Bigelow and um, and uh, oh my god Ed um, former uh, Apollo astronaut was involved with it as well I'll take your word for it yeah but Skinwalker is a ongoing phenomenon there's obviously a show the History Channel's got a very successful crazy show which by all accounts appears to just be shot documentary style but it does it, it right now blurs the lines a little bit between entertainment and reality. It's hard to know what, you know, what you're seeing, except it seems like it is backed up by very credible, very credible uh, investigators like George Knapp, uh, the attorney general. Oh, I just remember his name. Edgar Mitchell. There you go. There you go. <laughs> but, you know, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I'm just saying. So you had, um, so OSAP had, uh, came after the NIDS program was the National Institute for Discovery Science. Edgar Mitchell, who was involved with, who was an Apollo astronaut, walked on the moon, uh, was involved with it. And uh, people like Hal Putoff and Colm Kelleher, uh, who later worked on other, uh, with, uh, on OSAP as well, also studying um, Skinwalker Ranch. But they were, you know, but it was a broader study. It was dealing with uh, blue orbs that were interacting with people. It was dealing with, um, I mean, it's a great book written by, um, by Colm Kelleher, James Lukatsky, who who was the uh, the head of OSAP, and George Knapp who wrote a book called Skinwalkers right. at the Pentagon, which outlines the broad range of things that were being studied by OSAP, which we're dealing with branching out into the paranormal as well. That's why I bring it up because yeah, yeah, so the ghost story, so your experience, and also people who have had experiences like that uh, tend to be more open minded to uh to the unexplained and to engaging with the unexplained um it made me think about this this sort of extra dimensional theory about these it because of the you, and you see this if you watch skinwalker Ranch, there's there is this sense of something seems to be just slipping in and out of reality something seems to be poking its head out going back in we have no way to sort of trace or understand what these kind of portals might be or what this phenomenon mm-hmm. is, but it also, it lends validity and, and gravity to ghost experiences and this idea of, of something that you can't quite reach but is, is trying to reach out um, remnants of, you know, uh, it, it does start to fold in. I think Jacques Vallée, the kind of, famous legendary you know french ufo investigator who was in close encounters and mm-hmm. was played by truffaut uh, yeah, yeah truffaut, Francois was... truffaut um he he gave a speech where he was sort of putting a lot of this phenomenon under the uap ufo umbrella as well that there might be which would be just astonishing if someday scientifically you know just like people didn't know you know, Newtonian physics existed and made all sorts of excuses. There may be just some way to explain this phenomenon of contact with those who have passed or things that might be observing us now or f- from the future. 
Yeah, well, definitely. And Jacques Vallée, I guess his passport to Magonia was uh, where he where he kind of linked the modern phenomena of UFOs to uh, older phenomena of of uh, you know fairies and little people, leprechaun, all these weird images that go through history of strange creatures that humans interact with. Mm-hmm. You know, and he was saying that that uh, that the phenomena may be able to, may may have presented itself to humanity in different forms throughout the history of humanity. Because part of me recoils, right, at, when we start going there. Like, yeah. When we start to go seems, down that It's too road, crazy and too weird. Yeah, I'm like, leprechaun, you know, I yeah. mean, it's, it, 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 you know, and these are obviously kind of, we, we have associative Im- images of that and ideas of that and storybooks or whatever, and it feels so impossible and kind of silly even. But you open the door, the door's open, people were trying to make sense of this phenomenon. If in fact it did exist, and it, by all accounts it did exist, it was, has been ongoing artists, you know, indigenous people have been trying to convey this, you know, like mm-hmm. um, even at Skinwalker Ranch, they have, they have uh, significant kind of um, petroglyphs and, and paintings on, you know, that, mm-hmm. that seem to suggest something special was happening at this place. Yeah, and definitely I think the, um, the phenomenon was, is incorporated into the the local indigenous culture, mm-hmm. you know, into their their stories and histories. Um, so my dream is to send you to Skinwalker Ranch. <laughs> yes, there's some radiation apparently involved that I don't know. Maybe I won't react well to. I've there just, is a risk to it. There's a risk involved. My wife has forbidden me from going, which mm-hmm. I don't know. It seems extreme, but yeah. I, you know, the more I watch of the show, the more I might be willing to go along. I could I could zoom in because zoom is you know we can zoom now. Um, yes, yes. So I can be there with you. Well, that's very supportive in of you. spirit, so to speak. Um, yeah. But I think uh, it would be fun to take some field trips and go to some of these places and and you know oh, definitely talk to some of these folks and put you in as much danger as possible. Um, All right. No, I'm. I'm you know, ex- I, don't no. Want, I don't want you to get hurt. I really. There's a lot of comedians. I, I'm not saying we're, we're relatively listen, expendable. We can't spare you. We can't spare yeah. you. But you can yeah. do your work. Yeah. A little radiation. I mean, what's yeah. a little radiation among friends? Yes. For a the purpose brain of swelling. Unlocking the mysteries of the universe. <laughs> they do yeah. have a guy who had this brain swell, but he's doing great. Yeah. And he's still on the show. That's yeah. what I. My big question about the show Skinwalker Ranch and when you guys should. I highly recommend it just as a entertaining viewing experience. But there yes. is someone on the show who I don't know why he stays. Things keep happening to this guy. He's like a barometer. It's like a human barometer for danger. Yes. Once yeah. things start happening to him, everybody runs away. Yeah. They set off rockets and his scalp separates from his skull. Oh, uh, and then he, they rush him to the ER and he comes back and he's like, yeah. Almost died. That was scary. <laughs> yeah. You know, they, uh, they're they on to something there. But it, it again, I am – I have a parallel curiosity of how this – how do we divorce this conversation almost from the world of entertainment media? Yes, because it, it that line they're walking is, I think, hurts hurts the hurts the serious conversation that has to be had. I know. Well, it's, and it's and it's definitely that there's a production style mm-hmm. in the History Channel mm-hmm. that can can feel a little uh, contrived. Yeah, uh, but the actual data that they're producing there is pretty compelling, and it's backed up by very serious folks you know i mean again yeah. george knapp um uh, uh the gary nolan who we spoke to is the the um uh, micro 
biologist um, mm-hmm. at Stanford who has been really um, at the forefront currently with we we spoke with sort of in our our pre podcast days because we yes. we don't need a podcast to harass people into conversations no. we just we just no. call up people and bother them anyway um, so now we can organize it but he yeah. uh, had some amazing things to say and hopefully we'll get to talk with him again um, in this more kind of organized setting but also I think there's in in that I think in some ways maybe we we've we've jumped deeper than than maybe we should have in this first one, this first podcast, um, because we are getting into the weirder and harder to grasp yeah. elements of it. Um, but I think a great entry point for the subject is a more nuts and bolts story, which is the the uh, the uh, 2004 Tic Tac event with the yeah. Nimitz, the, uh, which was an aircraft carrier, um, which was, I think, was supported by the Princeton, uh, which was where all like the radar uh, surveillance was done, and but all of the amazing people that witnessed this event, and and I'm still again that's the thing we we forget because in a world where er- almost everyone is hosting a UFO podcast, mm-hmm. uh, it seems there there is still a remarkable uh, general culture ignorance of what's going on. Yes, and where I keep thinking everyone has seen the Tic Tac video. And not everyone has. And I'm always startled that people haven't seen the Tic Tac video, haven't heard of David Fravor or Alex Dietrich. Um, so the people I, I'm, I would love to talk to are the people that were involved with that. Obviously, um, David Fravor, Alex Dietrich, um, Kevin Day, who is the, uh, the, uh, the radar uh, operator, so many other people. Do we have a clip of the Tic Tac thing? Well, I was going to say, uh, one thing we can show you, because here's the thing that is amazing, that that story was broken by the New York Times – on a front page story, and you would think that would blow up the whole world. Right. Astonishing little response to in the general public to it, and almost no f- response in the mainstream media to it. And I think part of that was the fact that the the story the story leaned into that there had been funding for a government program without going like, oh, and by the way, the Pentagon confirms these this, this, these are yes. objects in space that we're seeing that they don't know what they are yep. and that they're not ours or any other government Yeah, they released at technology. that time two, two videos that have become famous, the, I think the, the Tic Tac and the, the Gimbal video. And yeah, and they had Lou Elizondo come public and say, go public after leaving his military service saying, yes, this, these are these are no. These are not American black projects. Mm-hmm. These are not any foreign uh, near peer adversaries, mm-hmm. uh, to use their terminology. And and just to say, if we had that kind of technology, there would be no government competition whatsoever because yeah. one government would be completely able to overwhelm any other government's military. So this idea yeah. that oh, it's a secret black program where we we have anti gravity, we can move wherever we want, in and out of the oceans, up in space, we can go six miles away, we can teleport, we can that doesn't exist yes. in any black program. I don't care what if government it did, you're on. Whoever had it would be yes. we would be living under their game rule. over. A game over. Whoever had it. Yes. And you know, and if it was American technology, we know for a fact that the US is the only country on earth that has never developed a technology that it hasn't used mm. in combat. That's a good point, yeah. It's the only country on earth that has dropped a nuclear bomb. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we do I, we do have a, a little extended clip here that I think people should see because again 60 Minutes did a did a follow up on this story, and again, zero ripple effect. 
in the culture. Well, we have a great attention span as a public. Yeah, you know? I mean, we're you know that's clearly that. I mean, I, and I agree with you because I do want to, and then I want to add, and, and then we'll watch that. But I think they. But I think well, here's what I, I, would, I would outline it that my I don't did I ever say this earlier? I can't remember now. But that my view is the modern UFO era starts with Roswell, mm-hmm. um, and the current UF, UFO era begins with the. 2017 article in the New York Times mm-hmm. that reveals the details of a 2004 event called the uh, Tic Tac event. And I think maybe the easiest thing is just to run mm-hmm. this clip for people to get a sense of how amazing it is. It was November 2004, and the USS Nimitz Carrier Strike Group was training about 100 miles southwest of San Diego. The advanced new radar on a nearby ship, the USS Princeton, had detected what operators called multiple anomalous aerial vehicles over the horizon, descending 80,000 feet in less than a second. Fravor and Dietrich, each with a weapons system officer in the back seat, were ordered to investigate and found an area of whitewater in an otherwise calm blue sea. It appeared to them that an object about the size of a 737 was just under the water. So as we're looking at this, her backseater says, hey, Skipper, do you? And about that got out, I said, dude, do you, do you see that thing down there? And we saw this little white tic-tac looking object, and it's just kind of moving above the whitewater area. Do you ever drop your phone and it sort of bounces off the mm-hmm. countertop and then bounces off something else and it's sort of like no, no predictable movement, no predictable trajectory. Yeah. I guess. yeah, it was just. It was just like a ping pong ball. No just acceleration. Very, very random. Acceleration. As Dietrich circled above, Fravor went in for a closer look. So you're sort of spiraling down. Yep. The tic tac still pointing north south. It goes, and just turns abruptly and starts mirroring me. So as I'm coming down, it starts coming up. So it's it's mimicking your moves. Yeah, it was aware we were there. You want to see how close I can get. So I go like this, and it's climbing still. And when it gets right in front of me, it just disappears. Disappears? Disappears. Like gone. And you saw no visible propulsion, right. no, no wings or anything to no. make it fly in our atmosphere? No, actually, when it turned and started coming up, it was kind of like, okay. Because <laughs> we have nothing that goes that fast and just starts climbing at will. Seconds later, the Princeton reacquired the target 60 miles away. So in a matter like, of... Like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just appeared there. Mm-hmm. In, in seconds, yeah. it was 60 miles away. Mm-hmm. Later, another flight crew encountered what they believed to be the same object and briefly locked onto it with a targeting camera before it zipped off again. They didn't get a visual on it, but they did get this flare footage, the, the forward-looking infrared. So you've got the infrared image yes and your eyesight yes and the princeton the radar all saying there is something out there yes i mean yeah what do you need i know and then you'll have of course there's always the debunking community and and it was said earlier the debunkers all they need to do is come up with one plausible alternative for even one element of the story and they'll put that up as a debunking. Right. And they'll ignore all of the other... Disregard eyewitnesses. Disregard yes. different means of and, seeing and things. And people, people will, lovely people will try to sound very clever by saying, well, you know, eyewitness testimony is the worst testimony, is the worst evidence there is. Mm-hmm. So Occam's razor, if you apply it 
the way it's intended, the simplest explanation for the Tic Tac sighting is the pilots saw exactly what they described. Mm-hmm. The radar operators mm-hmm. recorded exactly what happened. That's Occam's razor in action. Yes. The simplest explanation is it happened and they saw it, which isn't an answer to what they saw, but it is an answer to what happened. Dave Foley applies Occam's razor mm-hmm. to the UAP phenomenon. I properly. Like, uh, properly. <laughs> I like it. I like it. I like this conversation. Me too. I think this is good fun. And there's and there's a long way to go, and 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 we're going to bring in as many interesting people as we wait. can corral. Lots of questions for Jeremy and Paul Heineck will have on the show, and this yes. is a great, wonderful start. So yes, and hopefully down the road we'll have uh, Leslie Kane. Yes, and, and uh, Lou Elizondo, Dr. Gary Nolan back. Gary Nolan would be great. Uh, as I said, uh, Sean Cahill, who is also with the Tic Tac, involved with the Tic Tac. I love it. Fravor, Dietrich, uh, you know. These would be great. Ryan Graves would be a great. Uh, look forward to. We're going to answer all getting these to mysteries. know all these people. Yes, so we can have talk to the experts on this and uh, make yeah. uh, anyone listening the experts themselves. Yes, awesome. or at least as annoying as us at parties. I hope so. I hope. So. Yes, exactly. You can pin that person to the, to the wall at the party. Yeah. Uh, great. I'll see all you next right. time, buddy. All right. This is Tom Wheeler, and we will see you next time on Rewe with Tom and Dave. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.